Yoga six feet under because white women killed yoga. Now, 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 before we get into it, disclaimer, we want to acknowledge that this topic is going to be difficult for a lot of you listening. If you're white, you might hear a stereotype and think, well, that's not all of us. And while that might be true, it's the same as saying, not all men. In our experience, white people, especially white women, don't respond well to being generalized or stereotyped. So if this makes you upset, angry, or defensive, we suggest you sit with those feelings and reflect on why your feelings are more valid than ours and why it's okay to stereotype others, but not white people. So that's a clip from the first episode of the Yoga is Dead podcast called White Women Killed Yoga. That's Jaisal Parikh and Dejal Patel. I broke this episode into two parts because it just felt a little bit more digestible that way, but it's actually just one long conversation. I really don't care too much about your feelings because there's a button, right? You can look at it right now on your phone that has a little square icon. That's called the stop button. And you can press that button and stop. You can also unfollow, unsubscribe, all sorts of other things. So. Eh, can't can't worry too much about feelings here. But I wanted to bring them on to talk about why exactly they say that white women killed yoga and to find out a little bit more about what we can do to be better or do better. And we talk about a few hot button issues here like cultural appropriation, intent versus impact, and a lot of other stuff regarding race. And I actually asked a few people, both white and not white people, about what they thought of this episode before I published it. And they made no qualms about telling me that I could have pushed back a little bit harder on a few of the points. And I suppose that might be true, um, but I didn't do this episode to be combative or anything like that. The main issue that I did want to raise was just surrounding how much responsibility a business owner has to be more inclusive when the primary goal of any business is profit. Because without profit, this conversation is a moot because the business doesn't exist. The door is closed. I had my own issues in yoga classes, and we discussed a few of those and what led me to be jaded enough to start attacking a few years ago. And at the time of this recording, they had something like 6,000 downloads on their first episode just in the first week. Their Instagram was blowing up. Um, And 6,000 downloads for a new podcast is like top 1% of 1% in the world. It's it's stellar. So it it definitely seems they're on to something here. So check this episode out. uh, Continues in part two. And then go check out their podcast. You can link to all of the places at yogaisdeadpodcast.com. But it's also available at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, all those different places. So, yeah, cool. Enjoy the episode. I hope it hurts your feelings. Cool. So I'm here with Fajal and Jaisal. Thank you for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having us, Ryan. <laughs> for sure. So I'm, yeah, you know, it's so funny, like the, the intro to your first episode, you have the little skit with Fajal's name. Mm-hmm. And as I was listening, to, and, and you talk about your name, and as I was listening to that episode, the 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 difficulty with the name to me was interesting because it didn't seem that difficult. But then as I was getting closer to this, like this morning, I was, I was like freaking out, like, dude, don't fuck up that name. Um, so, so hopefully it all it all it all works out. Um, but I think just so before we really get started, um, Jason, you brought this up last night that maybe there should be a reference to the disclaimer you made in your episode, or just a general disclaimer at all, because these issues can be sort of hot button. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The we thought long and hard before we put even put that disclaimer in because we know that just having a disclaimer is really uh, hard for some people to see like, oh, I'm going to be made to be uncomfortable, that I'm going to be generalized in some way. So also, I think also on that, um, 
having a disclaimer is almost like putting out an, uh, an apology. And for me, it also felt like, how hard are we going with this? Do we want people to recognize what's going to happen? Or it, it, it actually gave us like a moment to think about like, what is the goal of the podcast? And, and then we got to a point where we're like, this is essentially tools. We want tools for everyone to walk away with. Yeah. It, I mean, that was like a whole evolution of like, we need to make this productive, but with, even with the disclaimer, we're like, well, these are our lived experiences. <laughs> so how much do we need to apologize mm-hmm. for having had these experiences? It's not like, you know, we wanted to have these experiences. So why are we apologizing? So that was like a whole thing. And then the reaction to the disclaimer has been interesting because while the reaction to the podcast has been overwhelmingly positive, of course, there are always haters and the haters always take issue with the things we said head on in the disclaimer, which is that we generalize people. And it's like, if you don't like being generalized, well, why do you do it to everybody else? It's okay when you do it to everyone else, but it's not okay when you're being generalized. Why is that? Yeah. And I think there's something to be said too, for like one of my main things is I just want to, I want to be effective, you know? So I think if, you know, I I totally understand the, like the, the jousting between do we have this disclaimer or not? And, and what does that, what does that mean? But I think if you come to the, to the decision that the disclaimer is a good idea because you think it will help you deliver the message you're trying to deliver, I don't think that's necessarily a problem. I think it depends why the disclaimer is in the, in there. If it's because you feel apologetic or something, I don't know that that's the best reason, but if it's because you want to be an effective, uh, you know, person, a message distributor, maybe it is a good Mm -hmm. idea. Yeah. I think that that is definitely why we ended up including it because we knew by the time we had like really worked out what we were going to say, we're like, this, this is going to rub people the wrong way. So it's like, well, we might as well just tell them up front, like this might make rub you the wrong way. And like our point at the end of the disclaimer is why are your feelings more valid than our feelings? And this statement right? resonated with so many people. They've literally copied and pasted it and said, this is what I've wanted to say for so long. And here it is like written out, everybody read it because this is how I feel. So I'm really glad we put it in there. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, with this episode of my podcast in particular, I think it's almost like double time because just before we started talking, Faisal, you said that you got messages from people asking you why you were associating with me or aligning with me or whatever they said. Yeah. I don't, Jake's not here. I don't even know what that means because like, what does that mean? I'm aligning with you. Like you, you're an individual and you have your own, it's not like you're a political party and I've joined. I haven't like bought a Ryan card and I'm like waving a Ryan flag around. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Not yet. Anyways, I, I don't really know that happens every single time someone talks to me. Like it's happening like on, uh, well, which by the way, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully this doesn't happen to you. Um, but the, with podcasts, like the couple of po- other people's podcasts that I've done, I, I like, I, I feel like yours won't probably suffer from this. They've been with white dudes, uh, but they'll get like a, a, a torrent of people just go and review, like, like rating it shitty or saying bad things. And then typically like me and Cassidy will go and just look at those and then report those comments and they get taken down oh, pretty quickly. Cause it's a lot of like people that just go on. They, I, I don't know exactly how the review system works. It's, it's not very good. Cause I don't like that. You can't reply to people. I feel like if someone can bash you openly, you should be able to reply to them. But, uh, but I think people tend to do it from like, they just create like a new account. So they only have like one review and it's just scathing and nasty. So Apple's like, yeah, get that shit out of here. 
and delete it. So we, so I've gotten a lot more familiar with trolls. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a definition of internet trolls. Totally. Um, I'll say on our podcast review, we have one, one star, but they didn't describe anything about the podcast. So that was interesting to see. But this idea of internet trolls, somebody yesterday posted a comment, reply to their own comment, and they had two specific things that they brought up. And just based on the last week and a half of comments, I realized like this person is a troll. And I just wanted to say that to them. I said, look, we've gotten really familiar with this concept of internet trolls, people who don't disclose any aspect of their identity, their practice and their viewpoint, but just come to our page to spew their indifference in a really kind of hostile way. So take that into consideration when we're commenting and I will respond to two of your points here. And I wrote it up and I went to post it and they had already deleted it. I'm like, people are very confused. They're getting really riled up and they'll write something and then they'll just think twice and, and delete it. It's been, it's been just kind of interesting to look into like the human psyche of some people. Yeah. And I would say too, like, it feels to me, you know, with this, with this topic and the whole, the idea behind your podcast, which I want to talk about in a second, I, I feel like if you have just like a straight up five star review across the board, I don't know if that like, that might not even be as cool. Like as having some people coming in saying bad things. Cause I have, I mean, mine's the, it's mostly five stars, but I had like, there's a, there's a group of people who don't like me at all who like posted like one woman posted a video of herself, like screen recorded herself on her phone, like reviewing my podcast one star and like writing something. And then she posted that. And then I got a whole bunch right after. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's like that, that means something like the fact that I feel like having a mostly five stars and then one stars is a, is an interesting thing for people to see. I don't know if you want in the middle, those, those numbers don't mean as much to me, but I, I'm not mad at both extremes. I, f- mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, cause you touched somebody like you, you d- totally disrupted somebody whether they liked it or not. For sure. It just, it makes more sense if you're like, if you're, if it's a controversial topic that should, that should be the way it is, you know? Um, And I feel like most people that end up on your podcast, they probably already know that they want to listen. So they don't need to be convinced by everyone's five stars for them to give it a chance, you know? So it's been pretty, it's been pretty, uh, Jason likes to say kumbaya. I feel like our support has been very kumbaya, which has surprised us both a little bit. Like we expected a lot more dissent to what we were doing. So I wonder how, um, like how, uh, unsure that support is as we move forward in other topics and continue to say things that are really particular and very pointed. I also wonder if it's just like a matter of time, you know what yeah. I mean? I think so. I mean, the initial batch of listeners is probably like, they probably have seen this, these topics being discussed. There's some education already. So, and, and I also, I think people, you know, there's, there's people who probably agree and they, they may feel the same way and, and, and want to change everything. And there's probably a bunch of people that just know that signaling that they care is a better look for them. Oh, so they yeah. do that. Peacemakers. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, yeah, exactly. Oh, speaking of which, there's like, Sejal, you were just asking me, has anybody from your community like said anything yet that you know? And this one person who I haven't, I didn't reference in the first episode, but I'm definitely referencing in the second one. Like they responded to a comment I wrote to some, a response that I wrote to somebody else's comment. 
And she was like, great response, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, this is the profile that we're talking. You are the profile that we are talking about. So I don't know why you're so excited about this. Like, like <laughs> so I, I, and I don't, not sure that she even listened to the podcast. So I'm pretty sure she just like wrote some yeah. responses to like be seen mm-hmm. as somebody who cares. Full on. I think a lot of times people share things in their store. I mean, m- like probably night, like 100% of the time, really people share things in their stories to signal some value that they carry or whatever. And a lot of times it's complete bullshit and they just see something that like, Oh man, it'd be cool if everyone thought this about me. So they share. So, um, do you want to, do you want to disclaim anything here or do you just want to press forward? We can press forward. I think it's going to be more of the same. Like we are going to say some generalizations. It is going to hit people the wrong way, but bear in mind, like there are resources you can find out to find, to see if this is like actually true or not. There's studies being done. We're going to talk about race a lot. Right. So this idea of like white culture, people are really resistant to it. And they'll say like, there's a lot of different kinds of white people. It's like, yeah, there's also a lot of different kind of Indian people. So just bear that in mind. I want to say one thing about the people that have popped up to be like questioning why we're talking to you. Okay. My understanding of you, Ryan is very basic. It's like Instagram understanding. But what I think is so funny about these people is that they're feeling allied with us, but we don't know them. And our podcast is out there with the idea that we're making you uncomfortable enough to pause and then rethink what you're doing, rethink your patterning and your behaviors. And I don't know that that's very different on a, like a hundred foot level overview than what you're doing. So I thought it really kind of interesting that people feel so connected to us through our episode that is meant to make you uncomfortable, but they feel really close to us. And then they're like taking their time out to explain to us why it might not be a good idea to talk to you. I found that like strange. Full on. I think there's something to be said about like people like to share a common enemy and, and I've sort of taken on this villain role. So people can maybe looking to connect with you on some, you know, he's the, he's the problem. Yeah. So we are together or, or something. I, I don't know. I think a lot of them, it's probably, it's probably different for each person, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. I, I never know if I should say anything about like when I first asked you guys about it, I, I kind of just, cause like Jaisal's been around a while. So, and she's seen stuff. So like, I just kind mm-hmm. of assume that you would maybe understand that that might happen. Um, but yeah, I, 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 that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing. Cause you really didn't even, I guess I announced, I, I was pretty loud about announcing that it was happening. So I guess they probably saw me talking about it, but oh no, I put it in my story on Sunday and I got responses to that. <laughs> oh, well, damn. I saw, I saw your story, but I, I didn't, I guess what I assumed was that people who were watching because you, you're, you haven't been around as long as Jason in my little thing that people may not even know the significance of that or who I am or any, anything, but I I didn't think so either, but I got to tell you the growth from our podcast launch has just obviously haloed into our, our like brand identities and, and then the people that are supporting us are now getting interested in us as individuals and us and our other projects. And so they're all new people. Like you're new to me, but so are these other people that are now talking to me as if we're not new, which you know, I appreciate all the support in the conversation because I think it's getting us to a better place and starting like really starting now digging really deep. But I found that interesting, like allying against kind of a common enemy that that rings a little bit true, but I don't really see how I'm identical as anyone else who's supporting me. Like we're so nuanced as individuals. So, yeah. 
Well, <laughs> I, I, I would apologize for that, but I don't think, I think it's good. It'll end up being good. I think whatever response comes of this. You definitely don't yeah. need to apologize. Like who cares? Like who cares? You invite, you're doing something and you invited us to like have a, a discourse about it. I don't see anything wrong in that. We don't, I have learned a ton from you, Ryan, but like, I don't agree with everything you've ever put out there in the universe. And I'm sure that you could say the same about me. Like we're individuals. And again, it's not like a political party I'm joining and making a statement. Like, I, I just don't understand the whole aligning. No, like I'm not a card carrying. <laughs> <Ryan member. laughs> Like, uh, you know what don't... I think? I think I think one of the things that I'm like good at, and and like one of the main reasons I wanted to do this is that I'm good at connecting people who who may be completely different than me to ideas that will be helpful to them. So there's a lot of people that like will now go and send messages to people like, "Don't talk to him; he's a fucking asshole." That have that that, that have been impacted by me in positive ways, even though the the delivery may have not felt good. You know, where they're now. Yeah like a lot of it is with like the way people teach yoga and like the physical aspects of yoga. Like a lot of these people are now doing, they're teaching smarter, safer classes because I punched him in the face, you know, like they were being, they were being, they were being told these things before. It's not like they didn't know, but I did it in my way. So like they forget that, Oh yeah. Now everything about you is different, but you still need to go and tell everyone I'm an asshole, which is fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, it like works for me. Um, so the first ep- well, so the podcast is yoga is dead. Uh, the first episode is white women killed yoga. Love both of those things immensely. Uh, and I've been, I've been watching you launch this thing. I think it's great. I think the, the, the whole look and style you've used with just imagery and design and everything is, is cool. But I think, so why, let's just talk about why white women and like, why did they, why do you say they killed yoga? Um, yeah. So white women, it was the obvious first episode for us because we came together based on our, um, discomfort and irritation over white women and their place in the Western yoga world. And very specifically, we talk about that story in our episode about how we met at a training and then we were effectively silenced by white women, uh, running the training over topics, not even related to the training. So didn't need to express power in that way to be dominant in that scenario, but did it anyway. And we thought about that for a while and it came out as white women killing yoga, killing our experience of yoga, like our interest in being a part of this Western, you know, group dynamic of yoga. And then like white women are the dominant group, whether we like it or not, they are the dominant group in the yoga industry in the West. So of course we had to address like those in power. So that's like why it's white women. And then the culture around white women, we were talking is very like shrouded in mystery. So we have like this idea of white supremacy culture, which if you Google, you can find out like what that is and the traits of like white culture, but white female culture is like this subculture that nobody, only very few people talk about. And it's really only talked about in like the feminist movement about, you know, uh, we've quoted Camille Williams talking about um, that article that she wrote where white women are not including voices of color in their, uh, in feminism. And I think the same can be true in yoga. It's like an exact same parallel that you guys have these specific cultural traits. You're not aware of them. And now you're imposing them on everybody else. Can you give an example of that? Like imposing, like imposing what on everyone else? I like, I understand Fajal's example about like your voices being silenced. Like that makes sense to me, but just can, can you give me one more? Okay, sure. So 
the a white woman trait, for example, one of the things we talked about is like food and body obsession. Right. And so like what a lot of white women don't like being told that this is a culture, but like it is all around us. You can it is this the wellness industry is the way it is because of women's obsession with dieting and with like looking a certain way. And that is comes from the dominant group of women. And that is white women. And so when you go into a yoga industry, the yoga industry, and then you start having conversations about like um, body image, which comes up all the time in a yoga class, like how you should and shouldn't look, how you shouldn't should or shouldn't embrace body positivity. Um, uh, one of the episodes we're going to do is called Vegans Kills Yoga, because when you talk about ahimsa, immediately the conversation is about uh, food. It's not even about like humanity and how we can all be nicer to each other. It automatically goes towards food. Why is all those things? Because of the white woman culture. Yeah, that's really interesting. And one of the things that I like that you said that made definitely made me think at the end was that white women are like culturally trained to have a lot of insecurities. And when you don't have them, that you're perceived to be as full of yourself. I think that's totally, totally on point. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have your shit together if you're confident and successful. You're bossy. You're arrogant. Like you're not relatable. Even in conversations like with friends sometimes, like there's this unspoken rule that if somebody compliments you, you kind of have to like brush off the compliment. Like you can't just be proud of the thing you did. Oh, but you know, whatever. I was wearing makeup that day. That's why I look nice in that picture. That's an example of that culture permeating. Yeah. And I, I mean, I have the same thing. Compliments are uh, hor- like so painful for me. How, how do you, res- like, how do you, when someone compliments you, how do you, how is your response? What do you? As I will say like, as a woman of color who grew up in this culture, like I embody a lot of these things. So doing this work has really brought me to a point where now I'm questioning like, well, what parts of that has been indoctrinated in me? Mm -hmm. And so like, where can I now work on myself and approaching things differently? Because it isn't like one culture is right or wrong. It is like cultures are different and we have choices. And if we're not aware of the culture controlling us, then we can't then make conscious choices. So if I want to make a conscious choice and I I feel like a a choice is to deflect, that's fine. But I need to be aware that this is coming from a cultural context. And Dejal and I being Indian American is very interesting and cool for us because we've always been caught between two cultures. So for us, like for a long time, we felt like maybe one is right. At least I did, you know, like growing up in the West, you feel like, oh, the Western way is right. And now Mm -hmm. we're coming back around to this idea of like, no, maybe it's just a choice. Maybe one is not better than the other they're just different and which one do I choose to do? I, and so just to answer your question from my point of view, when someone says something nice to me, it is so hard for me to just say thank you and take a pause. And I recently started going to a therapist and she's like, why are you justifying what everyone else is saying to you or what you think should like could happen for you, but then justify someone else's point of view about why it didn't happen. And I was like, I don't know, but it's physically hard for me not to keep talking to say, thank you. And that took forever. And, and, uh, you know, I had a lot of help or whatever, or thank you. I like the shirt too, or whatever. And so I, I think w- what we really actually want people to do is to take that pause and give them the understanding about why they're doing it, like address the root of it. And that's actually the difference in when you're a dominant dominant like racial group and you're not the dominant racial group. The dominant racial group wants to say, okay, you have an issue. Let me fix it. Whereas the subordinate or not dominant racial group wants to say like, 
oh, I have this issue. I want to track it back to where it came from so that I can start undoing it in a really uh, a holistic way and affect everyone around me while I do it rather than just put a Band-Aid on it. And that's a big difference you'll see, I think, when you start looking at what is white culture versus what is like the non-white culture. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I've never really even thought deeply on it at all. I just assumed that's just the no, norm in the way people respond to being complimented. I tend to just like deflect it better, find a find a find something about them that that I should compliment. I like try to quickly reciprocate and return a compliment is my default response always. It, I don't even try to like make. I tend to not try to explain it away. Mm-hmm. I usually just feel the need to give someone, give them a compliment. Like pass it back, take the attention off of you. I, I learned this in a, uh, a yoga training in a, at some point, it's like people want to give, but they also want you to receive. Absolutely. No, I think you take it away. You, you, you sort of take away. It, it, it can be perceived as a negative thing to, to not just accept it and to, and to put it back on them. I think it, yeah, it can be a not good thing. Mm -hmm. So as we're talking, I'm trying to think of like, what other examples have I seen from non-white people receiving compliments? And so I'm immediately thinking of like family in India and like maybe one person complimenting another person's like, sorry. And I don't recall them like deflecting that away. I'm recalling them maybe saying, oh, isn't it nice? Oh, you like it? And like smiling. Oh, I have a different story, Jaisal. That's so interesting you talk about your experience in India. When I go to visit, uh, visit family in India, if somebody say I'm having tea with family members and I notice like my auntie's bracelet, like, oh, that's such a pretty bracelet. They will stop what they're doing, take it off and have me give it to you, give it to me. And I'm like, yeah. this is so an unintended consequence <laughs> of me complimenting you. This is absolutely making me uncomfortable because now it feels like I can't say no to that gift, but I never wanted it in the first place. And that happens a lot when I, when I talk to people in India with family members in India. So the point being, like, people respond to this differently. And it's, I think a lot of it comes from, like, our culture. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I can't, I couldn't even be, I, I, I have not seen a therapist. I probably should. I kind of need to. to have, like, really, <laughs> to really, like, to, I, I don't remember a lot from when I was younger or what could have possibly been, like, put into my brain. I remember mostly being a positive about like a normal childhood. Mostly, I don't remember any, so like, where, where does this, like, cultural ingraining of things like this happen and when it's all around us though it's invisible right yeah like it's happening all the time yeah yeah. i I guess on tv like but where do i see what did i see the most i would be at school and there'd be other kids there and i I suppose things could happen there but also just watching tv a lot and the way that shows are written maybe or, or, or something but so i have this example i was at this white woman's yoga studio the one i talk a little bit about in the first episode and we, I was sitting in on teacher training and I had gone to the, um, Indian bodega around the corner and brought back food. And I went back into the room and she was like, Oh, you know, do you think that you could not eat that in here because of smell? And I was like, huh, I can't have my fucking rice and dal in this room right now. And I got it from the bodega around the corner. So that's just another thing. Like if I didn't want to rock the boat, if I didn't want to make waves, if I didn't want to argue with the person whose studio it was, I just have to kind of, Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. 
and then walk away and do my own thing. But what's happening there? The person of color is being sent away with their food, with their tail between their legs to go eat alone in a corner. You know, this this like th- that example reminds me of the other example you gave uh, in in the mispronunciation of your name. Yeah. Can you just tell us like what like just tell us what happened? OK, so I. Um, I'll try to be brief. (laughs) I'm terrible at telling stories, but I started this training about six weeks in. I realized most of the people I was training with didn't know how to say or spell my name, even though it had been written out in text messages like multiple times. And even though there were three lead teachers, they were my teachers for six weeks up to that point. So I was spending 10 hours minimum a week at the studio. So at this point, and then I realized this was happening. So I addressed it to my, the people in the training with me through a text message, uh, which quite frankly, I don't think anybody read. I attached the article that's in our episode resources for episode one calling Say My Name, Why Mispronouncing People of Color's Names is a Racial Microaggression. I don't think anybody read it. We did talk about it after class, but they didn't really bring it up. It was just so foreign of a concept to like talk about these things in this weirdly uh, spiritual bypassing type of training that I essentially realized what it was after the fact. But yeah, and then the teachers that I told this was happening to, I told one of the teachers and she was like, oh, that happens to me all the time. And I was like, really? I, I very much doubt that it happens to you as much as it happens to me. But regardless, that's not what I'm trying to hear from you right now. I'm telling you that this is what's happening and I'm filling you in. You don't even have to respond. And it went on and on. And then it got to a point where I was like, I can't even say anything further to this woman because she won't let it go. She needs to be heard. And she needs me to say, yeah, I understand what you're saying, even though I came to her with, a, with an issue. And then the next couple days happened that more students in the studio, not in my teacher tra- not in my training program, um, just through this weird situation of events, called me the wrong Indian girl's name, called me an Indian girl's name, and it wasn't me. And then another teacher overheard it, so started calling me that name as well, because they assumed it was the right name, even though everybody there knew me but had forgotten what my name was. And then the next day it happened again. And I spoke to a different teacher about it. And she finally stopped talking to listen to me, have me say my name, repeat it back to her. She tried it, tried it. And then, you know, that was the end of that whole story. Nothing came up again about it later. And then after I left the training, I just stopped going <laughs> to the studio. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So it's, th- so your name is Thajal and they were saying things like Tajal, I, I assume, or like other. Ver- well, instead of saying it wrong, it was not being said at all. And it was started to become obvious to me that it wasn't being said for a reason. And then when it was spelled out in text messages, it was spelled wrong, even though I had spelled it correctly in previous messages. Uh, so like Ryan, she was assisting one of the teachers in her classes and like that teacher didn't introduce her at the beginning of class, like saying so-and-so is going to be assisting. Meanwhile, Dejal went to like other classes with other assistants from that same program and that teacher would introduce them by name at the beginning of the class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really like, so, so my, my, when I was listening to that and, and also just even with the example you gave right before about you being asked to not eat your food there is all I could think was like, this person sounds like kind of an asshole. It's different people. And if someone, two if someone, people. two different people. Well, yeah, all of crazy? them. Like all of them sound like assholes to me. Cause like if someone, if someone came up to me and like th- they were uncomfortable about 
the way that I said their name or didn't use it, I would be, I would be mortified. And, I, and if I was leading a training, I would go, I would email everyone after and like make a big deal out of it. And t- like, I, so it was this hard for me to even imagine someone saying, oh yeah, people do that to me all the time. And, 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 right. and like, yeah. It's so hard that like somebody, so one of our commenters asked if this happened was like, oh, do you think it would be different if it happened in like a urban area? Like she just assumed this happened in like a, a small town in like a, a middle of the country state. Like she was like, oh, it must have happened like somewhere there. Right. And I'm like, no, we're, this happened in New York City. What are you talking about? Because happened in Soho, like a neighborhood like, that everyone in the country knows about. Are you kidding? Cosmopolitan metropolitan area. And the other, and the other side of that too, is like for the, for the teacher to not introduce you and to not like, I've never done that. I've never had like an, well, no, I have, I've had people come in and help do stuff when I was teaching big classes, but, and I always introduced them, but I was never bringing someone up to be a teacher in a studio or anything. Mm-hmm. But I think if I was, I would go beyond just saying their name and start like preparing them so that they can make me money. <laughs> you know, like exactly. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's insane. That part, that part was happening. Like we were meeting up beforehand. We were going over assists. We were talking about the plan for the class. We had a relationship. I have been there for six weeks. Like, and, and, and then I realized this was happening. So you can imagine I was mortified. Then I had to go bring it up. And then when I brought it up, I was told, this is my gift. You can see this as a gift. Everybody you meet, you can say your name, you can have them say it back to you. They can look you in the eye and you can ask them to repeat it every time I meet someone. And you know what I said to that woman? I said, that's exactly what I did with you six weeks ago. And you still forgot my name. And I saw the flash of annoyance in your eyes when I, like a crazy person, shook your hand at a yoga studio and said, Hey, it's so good to see you again, blah, blah, blah. You know, my name is, and she was like, Oh yeah, I know you. I, of course, lovely. I know you. And that's how that started six weeks prior. But six weeks later, she still didn't know my name because to her, it wasn't important. That's just insane. I, you know, and, and and sometimes, and and so like last night we were talking about this, you said that, um, people were, people were shocked. I didn't want to respond to that because I thought it would be more interesting to talk about it here. But when you said people were shocked, how, how did you mean that they were shocked? In the comment, like what Jason just said, somebody was like, I can't believe that happened to you. Um, I'm so sorry that your experience was so violent and dismissive. And I was like, are you really that surprised? Because we do that all the time. I can put myself in that basket and say, I've done that before to someone. But I've now really trained myself to say, hey, I forgot your name again. Can you tell me what it is? Every time. And it's a student that I might see three times a week. But I just do it. And you know what? They're, they're like, oh, of course. I didn't expect you to remember. And I'm like, well, I would like to. So that's why I keep asking. Yeah, I asked too. But they're like, you know what? This funny. Of the responses of people of color, we got like a large percentage of them were like, the first few minutes that experience has happened to me exactly like that little skit we did. Like we did that because it's like a recurring event. It's not like a one-time funny joke. It's like everybody of color who who's had that experience has had that multiple times too. Yeah. So actually I'll say that people were shocked. Then people were commiserating. They were like, this has totally happened to me. And then the follow-up to that is that people have come back to me actually a couple of people who don't teach yoga aren't in the yoga world, but listen to the podcast have come back to me and said, I didn't realize this, but there are people in my workplace that still don't know how to say my name and I've never brought it up. And it's been like six years 
And I'm going to have that conversation this week. But like they themselves didn't realize their coworkers weren't like making the effort to say their name because they themselves had justified it so long ago. I, I mean, I have that experience with my last name. It's like, I guess I don't really know. I mean, I've always said it, Orico, but a lot of people say Orico. And I, mm. when they ask, is it Orico or Orico? I'll tell them. But but I, I, I do notice myself get annoyed when someone says it, but I, I don't think I've ever actually gone out of my way to say it's actually this. Um, and, I, and I'm not sure why that is. So I can imagine like, uh, especially with like a large group of people that you're a part of a, a thing that everyone's supposed to be connected for, for that to become <laughs> a painful experience, experience. Cause when it happens to me, it's like just one off. I may run into this person one time, they mention my name somewhere. So I just kind of just like, eh, whatever. But I, but, but like to be in a room with the same group of people and to have this be on my mind would be awful. So yeah. and I will say like, okay, I'm going to give a counter example just because like, this is the way it could be. Okay, growing up, I grew up in a really white town. And so every year at the start of the school year, there'd be like, you know, roll call and then the teacher would inevitably get my name wrong. And then, you know, when you have start having multiple teachers, you're in like multiple classes and they're all getting your name wrong. It got to the point where in high school, like the roll call would happen and the teacher would say my name wrong and the entire class would just correct them. Perfect. And I was like, this could be how it is. Like, you know, you're just with the group for so long. And they just know you and they know your name and they speak up for you. And you don't really need to say anything at that point. So that's like the ideal. So, what, but like, why isn't it like that in the yoga community? One that like Thajil said in the podcast is so, is supposedly about mindfulness. Like, where's the mindfulness? Yeah. I'm not really sure. That's actually like one of the things that like I started to get jaded about, you know, I, I mean, not to compare my experience and discomfort in yoga t- to yours or any, any other person of colors, but like, my experience, I started, especially as I started to teach and then paid more attention to people on Instagram is I just felt like everyone was full of shit. The, the, the teachers were full of shit. Like I would, you have a conversation with them after class or, or you hear about something that they did or said that it's so opposite of everything that they preach. And I just started, it slowly just became more and more annoying to where I couldn't even go anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I just, it was, it was, it's such a, it's such a strange, I mean, obviously not everyone is like this, but it, it, it was such a strange thing to start to see like what's be, like behind the whole love and light front that you, you put on. And like, yeah. I, I have no problem, but like people, like there's teachers that are the sex addicts, drug addicts, all, like I don't, whatever, you know what I mean? But it's like, uh, it's like the lot, it's like, you just li- like, I don't like the lying you know, I'm, yeah. Like the question is, why aren't you talking about that in your class? Yeah, for sure. Or, or why are you just saying I'm a real human being and I'm on this path with you? I'm not up here with all the answers to teach you something that I don't even yep. know. Yep. And like, I'm sure you'd go back to that person's class way more. You would, you would probably not have quit going to group classes oh, for, um, if you started to hear something yep. real. And for me, it's starting to beg the question, like, why are we even doing poses if this is like what's coming up? Right. Like it's if they had her name experience at that studio, like the next class could have been like, let's let's work on mindfulness. Like, let's all introduce our names. Like, like, let's learn about each other's names today. And like, so what if you do 10 minutes less of asana? Who cares? We did get a comment on that. And on Instagram, somebody part of this conversation is saying, well, they're totally ostracized from doing something they feel is um, like appropriate for the group. They're like, you have to focus on doing the asana because the customer feedback is more important than what you feel um, you should deliver as a teacher. So people go through that, walking that tightrope too. Like I can't teach what I want 
And, and you have to make that call because you're at somebody else's studio. So I think the reality is you can teach what you want, but you just don't, you don't feel like you can, or like you feel boxed in by what everyone else is doing around you. And so you feel like, Oh, well, if I don't do this, blah, blah, blah. But I think there's a market for everything. Uh, yeah, I, th- I want. I was going to bring this up later, but I think it's probably a good time to even just talk about it now. Is I think I, I mean I do think I do I do believe that there's a market for everything, but I also think people don't even know how to sell what they're already doing or what they're good at. So for them to even start to think about expanding or to ch- or, or or drastically changing or anything what they're doing, um, it it scares people. I mean, in my own experience, when I finally changed, I never taught anything crazy, extreme, bendy, dangerous, because I never could do any of that stuff. It was always just a very basic class with, with whatever. Um, but when I changed, when I started to kind of find some other training ideas and I started uh, my initial, when I first found that I thought I went to the sem- FRC, went, got back from the seminar, thought I was like a genius, totally changed my class all the way. And then, all, you know, a, a ton of people left. Like my, I mean, I, I basically burned down my entire business quickly by just changing what I was teaching. I mean, kind of a lot, but, but I, but it didn't go from being a physical class to being a discussion. It stayed a physical class, but they still left. So, so it, yeah. I, you know, it's, 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 it's hard, you know, if there's a, um, if we're trying to help people become better at attracting more diversity and, and, and eliminating some of these problems, I think it's, it's tricky and hard and, 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 and that's fine. But I think there is something to be said for people, um, you know, especially a a person who's struggling to make their rent, which a lot of yoga studios are like how. Okay, I want to address this because like this is the excuse we hear all the time. First of all, let's just lay out that like the format of asana that's being offered is not the only format that exists. So there's like other formats of asana that are doing well. Like if there's like integral yoga in New York is doing asana very differently than like a vinyasa yoga class. And they're doing fine from what I know. They've been around for a long time. Or like there are meditation and discourse classes happening and people pay for those. So like that's one aspect of it. Then you hear like, well, I'm struggling, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So you want to say that the market is saturated and you're struggling. Well, do you know what saturated markets, businesses in saturated markets do? They diversify. They niche themselves. So it's like, look at like the example of other businesses, like Coke and Pepsi, right? That's a good one. Like Coke and Pepsi, we're selling Coke and Pepsi forever, like competing with each other in every market possible. And then they realize there's a point where they have to like start to diversify their offerings. And they got into the water business. They got into the energy drink business. Like there are markets for everything. And if you're competing in a saturated market, maybe the thing you need to do is like pivot, find a different market, find a different audience. Cause there's a lot of audiences not being addressed out there. So it's like, if you don't have the business sense to do this, maybe you shouldn't be running the business. Well, that I can, I, I can fully agree with the second point. I, I think the difference with something like Coke and Pepsi is they have $10 million in cash or $10 billion in cash to, to, to take risks and do things that some places don't have, you know, if they, if they take a risk like that and all of us, and like, it doesn't work, they could be totally fucked. And then the business goes away. So we're talking about a yoga studio that is feeling like they're not getting enough people in the door. They're not making rent. I mean, honestly, you're one of your, they're already struggling. Yeah, one of your options is to close down. So look at it that way. Am I, am I going to shut down in two months or am I going to take a risk to try and do something a little bit different and then see how that goes and maybe survive? Like you're already failing. Right. Your, your class, 
your class is different because you had a successful class. So you created a successful business model and then you decided to change it. That's a different scenario than saying I'm already struggling. I'm already like barely managing to break even. Well, again, like they just said, your option is to shut down or pivot. What are you going to do? Yeah, If you can't look that far in advance, like then there's something actually really wrong with the business plan that you started in the first place. Yeah. I mean, that I can agree with for sure. I think most people, most yoga studios shouldn't be or the person who's running it shouldn't be the person running it in most situations. And I, and I, and I agree. I mean, like I was lucky in a sense, like this, the studio I taught at the founder was a guy named Steve Ross, who some people say, he said, but other people did too, that he was like one of the first guys to play like loud contemporary pop, like hip hop music and stuff in his class. He had a show on oxygen and all this stuff. So even though the studio was in like, it was in Brentwood, you know, so, I mean, it's a white, 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 yeah. but, but there was, there was compared to other studios in the area, more diversity there. And I was, and then for me, I was teaching at 6am, which means there's no traffic in LA. And I also did a lot of advertising. So I did attract more diversity than the other classes at the studio because I was in a position to do so. And I think, and yeah, and I think, um, you're, you're, you're totally right. If, if shit's not working already, you got to be willing to change it up in, in some way. But yeah, I, I just, I just wanted to, cause I, I, I think a lot of people that struggle with this conversation or, or struggle with the idea of, uh, making changes to attract a, a more diverse crowd is they have a hard time seeing how they can possibly make that work. We're saying that for most people, like it's, it shouldn't be a hard sell because this is financially like a responsible decision to make. If you're already struggling, right? Like the next thing you can do is say, well, maybe this market of white women is saturated. So where can I go then to make my next buck? Maybe it's a different market. And, and how can I do it in a really authentic way to other communities? And so we've given tools for that. Well, let's talk, let's talk about a couple of the tools. I'm a, I'm a yoga studio. I'm, it's, it's doing, I'm not like totally on the brink of bankruptcy, but I'm, it's not, it's not, I'm not killing it. Um, I, I've, I've heard your podcast. I've been seeing more of this conversation popping up and I do, I like, I do want to do better. What do, what do I do? Where do I start? Okay. So if you're a yoga studio and you recognize, okay, shit, this is a movement and I have to be part of the movement. What do I do? I don't have any diversity in my studio. So here's what I would advise you not to do. I wouldn't advise you to tokenize a person of color, bring them in, put them on all your posters, all your, all your promotional material and say, come to our teacher trainings or we have job openings. What I would suggest and what we're going to launch this week is a tip sheet for yoga studio owners is to create a mentorship and create a strategic pathway for people of color to enter into your business so that they can start to get to know you and you can create, uh, create like a healthy, honest relationship with an entire community rather than tokenizing any single person. And then have them have like, um, full, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, autonomy over the thing that you're doing in the business or decision making so, ability. So it's not decision making yeah. and like really partner with them in a way that feels equal. And then people are going to start to notice that you've taken an effort and you're invested and that you're cultivating something rather than just going out and shopping for something and putting it on. Does that make sense? So what is that? Yeah, it, it does completely. And I think tokenizing someone would be ridiculous. It would be cartoonish. Um, it's already happened. Yeah, We've no, gotten emails. Totally. About it. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, I, I see it. I think it's, I think it's crazy, but so what does it look like in practice though? So, you know, it's like, what, how do, 
what do I actually, I understand like opening lines of communication and I understand so, but what is like, what do, what do I do? Do I send emails to people? Do I like look up, is there like a group or an organization? Like where, where like. Yeah. I, okay. So say you're in Chicago and you're like, I'm in a really uh, white area of Chicago teaching yoga. And somebody asked me this direct question. Like, what do I do? I don't want to, a lot of white people have this concern. I don't want to take up space. That's not meant for me. And that hesitation, I think, further create separation. So yeah, you send an email, you say, Hey, I'm in this neighborhood. I have this studio. I want to come to some of your classes. Like, which do you recommend that I take? And then you start a conversation. If you really want to talk to the owner, then that's what you ask for. And then you have a coffee with someone and you start to build a relationship. Uh, if you don't have time to send an email and make a phone call, which I'm kind of rolling my eyes over, uh, you can just look on a schedule and not feel hesitation to attend a class that's, uh, that's going to be like a, out of your wheelhouse. If you look for these things, if the class says allies are welcome, then you're more than welcome to go and you don't have to question it. If the class says, um, allies by invite only, I would ask you to send an email and say, Hey, I'd like to meet someone and talk about this class and potentially work, you know, my way into going, I want to have this experience. Got it. But a lot of people have hesitation in taking that first step because this fear, I don't want to take up space. And it's like, we want community. Okay. More separation is the opposite of the yoga. For, so to go back to your point about business owners, though, like, yes, I think one of the first things you can do is like send an email to all of your community and ask for feedback and just like keep, obviously have an out. So it's not like we expect a response, but like if you feel called to respond to this in some way, we're looking to like change the way we do things. Like, can you, we would love to hear from you, like what you feel we've been doing right and what you feel we could like improve on. I think that's a great way to start. I think another thing is like, you know, we have community gatherings and studios all the time. Like why not create a community gathering to talk about some of these issues? Like that's another example of how you can do this. Okay. Another, an easier example. Maybe you have somebody on staff that's of color already, and maybe they are thinking all these things, but they haven't yet figured out a way to like express it. Maybe go talk to them, have a have an, uh, talk with them and say, like, this is a hot button issue. Is this something you feel passionately about? Is there something you feel you have experienced in that you want to express? Do you want to create a workshop around it? Yeah. Like start to elevate that person if they if they feel and like maybe they don't feel like there's a lot of people that haven't yet processed this stuff for themselves. And so I think it's perfectly fine. To, for them to say, like, this isn't something I'm ready to do yet. But, like, have it as a, like, offer with an out. Like, if this is something you've been thinking about and you feel you want to do, like, we'll support you. And, like, we're going to give you some, a slot to do a workshop around this. We're going to give you a slot in the teacher training to talk about this. Maybe there's an article, a blog post you can write for us. Maybe there's, like, something you can include in the teacher training manual yeah. in the beginning for us. And, and make sure that as a responsible business owner, you're paying somebody for their time. If you want to have someone come to a take time out of their day to have a meeting with you and really call their ideas on how to expand and diversify your business, pay them for their time. They should be compensated. Absolutely. Right. Like this is not charity and they're already working for you. And it's important. Like you're essentially asking for a consulting meeting with someone because they have the expertise in that area. Like that needs to be, that needs to be honored. Yep. I agree. So, so you, uh, a lot of it is like ta like sort of tapping your existing network and people who are already involved in your studio. Um, Deja, you mentioned going, you mentioned like going to other classes and building relationships with those teachers at other studios, et cetera, just to start bu building a network. 
if I mm-hmm. understood that correctly. Yeah. I, and network in a discourse, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and I think there are things, you know, there, I don't see enough studios doing just general good advertising anyways, but I think just when you do advertise, like just expand it. Like if you're using something like Facebook it would be like expanding the zip codes outside of the ones that you're typically using. I also think there's something to be said for um, kind of even just a small step is just changing the way that they promote their studios. Cause I think a lot of times they present what they perceive to be some sort of uh, ideal image and they kind of copy other studios who are, it's a lot of white, images and white people in classes and they sort of just continue to copy other people. And if they were to just change their general approach, use more things like talking videos and just stop being full of shit, I think that might be more attractive to people who are not white. Yeah. I hesitate to use this word because it's been thrown around so much, but like it is about authenticity, right? Like what, what can you really speak to personally from your own personal experience? And I think it's like, not only perfectly acceptable, but even preferable to just say, like, I don't have all the answers. Yeah. I'm like trying to do the best I can, like everybody here. And this is all what it's about. We're all just trying to do the best. Mm-hmm. Like, how can I do better? But most people don't even want to ask the question, like, how can I do better? They just want to say, no, I know. Yeah. So, so can I- it's OK. No, we want to hear you say <laughs> you don't know. Right? I, I've had some <laughs> conversations with my with hundreds of people, but my actual colleagues at the yoga studio I teach at in New York City, um, two white women, one of them had a very different response to the podcast and the other, both were really excited about it, supportive and listened to it. One of them was like, you did all this work for us. We have no excuse not to take action. Like you laid it out in a way that really shows that you put your time and effort into effort into giving us this information. But then also like you put on a silver platter, the steps we can take to do better. So that was one person's response. The other person's response was like heavy. She looked at me and she said, it's just a lot. And I really appreciate what you're doing and I support it. And she was almost emotional in the fact that she was like, sometimes it's just feeling like it's so big that I can't do anything about it. Sure. And I was like, wow, these are two different responses to like all this information that we've given to you. And we have this like facetious little meme we're going to put up in the next few days. But it's like, you know, if this is all just too much work for you to even try, like you don't have to be teaching yoga. Yeah. Go, go teach Zumba. Go teach Pilates. Like no one's asking you to be spiritual or mindful in those communities. Like that's not it's not a part of the practice already. So. Like, why are you teaching yoga if this is not something you are interested in doing? Yeah, it's it's a challenge to people to look at why did they start practicing yoga? Probably because it helped them as an individual and it helped them in their body and in their mind. And maybe it lifted their spirits too. But that doesn't mean that translates to teaching that to other people. Because that's heavy. That's a heavy lift. And that's what we're talking about. Like, this is not a Zumba class. This isn't learning choreography and then giving it in a very high-powered like musical environment. This is contemplative and effortful work that we want you to figure out on your own, but then also in a really like a uh, productive way, start sharing. Yeah. And I think another, th- like another way to look at it, which I don't know, you know, you could, I guess you could take it a bunch of different ways, but I think a lot of, a lot of, because there's, there's like a growing awareness about this being a problem and, and people who are, you know, if there's a bunch of white 
women going to this yoga studio, they've certainly heard about it or a lot. Of, I mean, a lot of them have, maybe not all of them, but enough of them have, or even outside, like this conversation is also happening outside of yoga, obviously. So I think just being, um, definitely staying far away from tokenizing or doing any of that, but I think just being open about you wanting to do better with your existing base of students, like you'll, you'll probably get some responses with actually people who are can help you and, and connect you to people. But I think it's also just a good look, you know, like, I think it's a good look for you to, for you to get mm -hmm. involved. Yeah. So it, it, like, I think just op starting a dialogue is a, a, a good idea. And with, with something as simple as an email or a social media post or whatever, you know, at least just taking a step. We have a whole tip sheet coming too. And like, one of the tips is like, just say people of color's names frequently, like introduce them all the time. Like don't make that person do the work all the time. If you're a studio owner or teacher at a studio and you know, like there's a student in your class or another teacher in your roster, like introduce them. Yep. Like make it normalize their name so that it's not such a big deal. Like that's a simple thing you can do. Yeah. And I always come back to, it's like, it's just, it just makes business sense. It makes financial sense for you, for, for you, exactly. for your base of students to know who people are and for you to put them up and build them up so that they go to their classes and they can, so you make money while you're not at the studio, you know? Yeah. Ryan, we have a whole other episode coming up that's called Karma Capitalism Killed Yoga. And we talk about these things of like, you know, a lot of studios, I think, think that their product is yoga and they don't really understand that their product is really the teacher because yep. like that's the thing that the that's the client experience is through For the teacher. Sure. And so it's like if you're neglecting your teachers, you're neglecting your business. Yep. You're neglecting your product. Hold on. All right, so that's the end of part one. Part two is up right now. You can just go ahead and click over to the next episode in this podcast and you'll hear the rest of this conversation. But also make sure you go and check out their podcast. Yoga is Dead. White Women Killed Yoga is the current episode. And I will, I'll probably see you in the next episode, you know? I, how you feeling now? You, you, you feeling a little something? Yeah, are you hurt? I hope not, because if you're not hurt and you're just listening and learning, that's cool. But if your feelings are hurt, I feel like I've succeeded and I feel like you probably should... Take a little uh, look at yourself. It's, kind of, it's fucked up. You, you, you could have pressed the stop button. Why didn't you press the fucking stop? Why are you still listening?